0: Welcome to the Vulnerability Rocks podcast. You're listening to Emma Bell, and I believe that true healing starts with sharing. Welcome back, Josh. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm all right. Yeah, I'm good. I'm uh, glad to, to finally be doing part two of, uh, of this. Yeah, looking forward to it
0: me too. And before we start, I would love to share with you some feedback that I had on the last podcast with you. Mm-hmm. Um, Emma, I've listened to your podcast with Josh, and I just want to say how much of a huge impact it's had on me. I've realized more about me and myself in your podcast than I have in the last 10 sessions of therapy. I now feel really emotional as I'm now 40 and I can see that my behaviour in all areas of my life is down to childhood conditional love. I can't wait for the next episode with Josh. Thank you both so much for being so open, honest and providing people like me the support that I need. So I just wanted to share that with you, Millie, really, yeah, before we you know, start.
1: It's um, you know, It genuinely means a lot and it sort of never ceases to amaze me um, the impact you know that can be had when when you kind of had these sort of conversations. You know what I mean? I think um, I can sometimes take it for granted, and I think when I get messages like that, um, you know, it just kind of makes it all worth it and makes you realise why you're doing these kind of things.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's it it blew me away, but it's true, isn't it? So I mean, I could relate to that because I've had lots of therapy and lots of counselling, and kind of going in line with what I say. Like I believe that real healing starts with sharing and Mm. even when we go to a therapist one-on-one because we're with a professional we can still come away carrying shame and carrying the feeling of i'm still on on my own in this journey Mm. and for me the real power in my healing has come from being able to talk and be in the space with somebody else where Mm. you kind of go i get that me too it's not the same but I get it and yeah. you feel heard and you feel seen and that for me has been you know really powerful so I could really relate to that message that came through um yeah
1: yeah and I've, I do I think there's a lot to be said for it we can sometimes almost like over medicalize the conversation around emotions right when I think most people will say uh, that some of the biggest moments that have come for them is, is is interaction with other people that made them feel not alone. Do you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just think it's I think it's vitally important, really, to promote the idea of of holding space for one another in a way that enables us to to mm-hmm. share and and find out that we're all human. You know, the the, the things that we think, um, the things that we think keep us alone in the world actually normally attach us to more people than we could ever imagine. Um, mm-hmm. And ultimately that comes from, from the ability of giving one another permission to Mm -hmm. to share in that way.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I just wanted to share that with you because it's nice to have feedback because sometimes, you know, when you're putting out content and you know, there's a lot of people sort of consuming that content, but to kind of receive that feedback, it's um, I think it's good for everybody to hear the listeners and and the people putting the content out there.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely.
0: (laughs) Um, so I'd like to carry on from our last conversation. Um, we were speaking a lot about your journey to where you've got to today. And mm-hmm. following on from that, and another message that I had aside from that, actually, um, about the podcast was the lack of realisation or the lack of understanding about the difference between conditional love and unconditional love and the impacts of that so i'd love to unpack that a little bit with you now and then i'd like to move into some modalities that can be used that you may have experienced i may have experienced to unpack the kind of trauma that goes with that and how we kind of move through our healing after realizing that there's something that we need to tend to so yeah
1: okay cool sounds good (laughs) sounds good
0: um, so in your experience, what is the difference between conditional love and unconditional love?
1: So there's quite a, there's quite a substantial difference, right? And I, I, and I guess I would start by saying that the only time I believe that we should expect unconditional love Mm -hmm. is as as a child from our primary caregiver or parent okay okay um I think searching for unconditional love in an adult relationship Mm -hmm. can become quite unhealthy and Mm -hmm. I think when we do that it's normally a reflection of chasing what we should have got when we were children um and so to come back to the question of what is the difference between conditional love and unconditional love the kind of proof is, is is in the term, right? So conditional love is it means that in order for us to receive love, we feel like we need to do and be something. Now, there's lots of different things that kind of could trigger that to happen, right? Or could be the cause of that happening. And a lot of those causes are nothing to do with being a bad person or or being a bad parent. So, for example, my mum is an amazing human being. Um, she wasn't, I wouldn't call her a bad parent, but because of the situation in which she found herself in, based on my dad's addiction, it meant that I was in a position where, as a child, I felt like the love was conditional. That was never her intention, mm-hmm. um, but it was actually the outcome of what we experienced.
0: Mm-hmm. And would you say that that would be the conditions weren't necessarily on you? It was that there was no space because there was another priority. So therefore what was left was conditional to what had already been given and everyone else had to sharpen a different way around that addiction in your house.
1: Yeah. So with addiction, you, you all take on certain roles and you take on those certain roles because of what you're experiencing and because it's all hidden. Right. So it kind of brings Mm -hmm. it back to some of the stuff we were just talking about based on that message. Right. Which is, Mm -hmm. which is bringing things into the light. Right. And so Mm -hmm. when things are, when things are hidden, then, then, then there's always conditions. If mm-hmm. I'm trying to avoid something um, like, you know, a partner's addiction, mm-hmm. then there will be conditions because there becomes an elephant in the room. And so mm-hmm. in order to get through the room, you know, to get to exist in that space, there are ultimately conditions because we all have to keep walking around or getting over the big elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. So quite often circumstances that would that we find ourselves existing in create those conditions so you know you don't need addiction by the way you know uh, stress of any kind or a busy busy job a busy working Mm -hmm. life right Mm -hmm. if if you've got that busy uh you know if that parent is emotionally unavailable it -hmm. might be as simple as a child starts to think well i've got to be loud and and be Mm -hmm. like more lovable so that my parent can love me more than my job so there's your condition mm-hmm. there, another example could be and, and and you might have heard of the term of like second child syndrome some people call it right mm-hmm. where the second child in a family has a tendency uh broadly speaking right and of course everybody's different but broadly speaking the second child is often quite uh more vocal and a bit more aggressive right
0: mm-hmm. and that is
1: because the condition for them was they came along second after the firstborn child who was mm-hmm. like the golden child, the born love, the one that they mm-hmm. fell in love with and could devote their whole time to in those initial years. Whereas the mm-hmm. second child when they're born is always to some mm-hmm. varying degree fighting mm-hmm. against the attention of the other child in order to get that attachment. So, mm-hmm. so then you, you ultimately you have another condition there. right? Mm-hmm. So it does um, become a bit of a minefield when you start to look at it properly. Mm-hmm. um and start to look at it on a deep level um, but, and what i would say is that from a parent's perspective if you can get it anywhere near right 20 to 30 percent of the time then i think you're doing really really well
0: mm. yeah and i mean for, for for me in my situation the conditional love came in the form of narcissistic parenting on one side So therefore there was no space and everybody was walking on eggshells and everyone, everyone in the house had conditions to be met. Mm -hmm. And it was a constant case of appeasing a very authoritarian militant head of the house. There was no room for anybody else. And if that person wasn't happy may go for two months without speaking to anybody else, acknowledging anyone else, talking to anyone else. And then on the flip side, come in in a very aggressive style with huge demands you know so then there's no space so everything was totally conditional on a person so therefore there's nothing unconditional about that really (laughs)
1: well exactly and in in order to be able to get to to get attachment you need to walk on eggshells right so Mm -hmm. so yeah that's a that's an expression that we're using that actually goes a lot deeper right that means there's loads of Mm -hmm. things that you need to do you can't you can't bring your emotions to the table because if you mm-hmm. do, you're going to upset the narcissist. And if you upset mm-hmm. the narcissist, then that's going to upset the, your, the, the, the person who's in a relationship with the narcissist. right? So mm-hmm. then there's all these conditions that we learn as a child, right? Mm-hmm. That ultimately, and here's the big thing, I guess, that ultimately we take through into our adulthood. Mm-hmm.
0: Right? And it was then, interesting what you said earlier about <clears throat> in an adult relationship, if we're seeking out unconditional love, it's a byproduct of something we should have had or felt we needed when we were younger. Now that's quite interesting to me hearing you say that right now and then because I have gone and sought out. Like I've never felt that what I've had in previous relationships has been enough. I'm always seeking something extra, always seeking something more, always mm. looking outside or have been not now but previously. So that it's just the first time I've heard that. So it's quite interesting that you say that
1: yeah and yeah because the, you know the, the, there may be um you know more going on in terms of it just being that unconditional but 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 that need to search for more right mm-hmm, it, it, mm-hmm. it would make a lot of sense but mm. but when i say that unconditional love um shouldn't happen in all, in adult relationships right it's because as adults one adult to another we should we, we always have clear boundaries right mm. We um, should have, yes. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, we should yeah. we should have, right? And it yeah, has to be it, ha- it has to be conditional, right? Yeah. Um or it should be conditional, you yeah. know? But
0: here's the thing, like if you come from a house where you learnt that the only way you receive love was through conditions or through bending or adapting and not just being, then quite often the people that I've met who've been kind of through similar journeys get to adulthood and they don't know the first thing about boundaries because they weren't taught any because mm-hmm. their boundaries were constantly stepped over mm-hmm. from a young age. They've never learned how to put a boundary in place for themselves. And therefore they don't even know how to respect other people's boundaries. I didn't. No. And of I
1: course didn't. then they play, and of course they play out the same conditioning as well. So mm-hmm. in, in, in that relationship, if you're in that relationship with a partner and the partner says to you, how are you feeling? Right. Mm-hmm. I'm putting this very simplistically, but if that partner says, how are you feeling? If you've had that conditioning, you'll give them the answer that you think they want to hear because you think mm-hmm. the question is being asked for you to feed that conditioning, which mm-hmm. is like, right, how do they want me to feel right? They want me to feel really, really good. So you say, I feel brilliant.
0: Yeah.
1: And then all of a sudden, you're not communicating how you feel. And it's based on that conditioning that you were taught when you were younger that says the question, how are you feeling, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is not one that's seeking to create a space for me to explore how I'm feeling. It's one where someone is seeking validation know that i'm okay and so that's Mm -hmm. the answer that you give right Mm -hmm. then you will always feel you you begin to start to feel lonely and you don't know why and it's because you're not communicating how you're how you're truly Mm -hmm. feeling on the on the flip side of that um if you grew up in a a, a, in a much more functional environment right where where where, um there was at least one parent that was able to nurture your your Mm -hmm. true self and how you were truly feeling and you you there there was no conditions on 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 being Mm -hmm. loved. You knew you were loved anyway, right? No matter what you did, your parents loved you, right? Mm -hmm. If that Mm -hmm. happened when you was younger, then when you grow up to be an adult, when you start to seek out relationships, if somebody starts to want to sort of bend and distort you in order for you to be able to fit into that relationship, you're not going to be interested in that, right? And there Mm -hmm. will be conditions. You will have clear boundaries in those relationships. When somebody Mm -hmm. says, How are you feeling? You'll say, well, I feel crap at the moment. And it's not that you won't care, but you have developed a a deep enough sense of self to know Mm -hmm. that you're not not going to um, jeopardize that core sense of self for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. it might take you longer to get a relationship because you'll seek out somebody uh, that's much more fitting because anybody that's not, Mm -hmm. you'll call it out and you'll see it straight away. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you had those conditions when you were younger, you're much more likely to jump at the first person who kind of makes you feel a certain way. Does
0: that mm-hmm. make sense? Well, yeah, and the opposite of that, I suppose, is um if you have got used to not expressing your full emotions. For me, certainly, seeking out people relationships where people were emotionally unavailable mm. was was a safe play. So not necessarily bad people, but just people that were emotionally unavailable because that meant they weren't too bothered about what I was, you know, me or didn't want to get too involved in where I was at. So It was sort of a safe disconnect as well. So that can happen also. Um, It can become like this avoidant type of thing where you, on the outside, you appear like you're connected, but you're not.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and then yeah, and there's a comfort in that, right? Because then yeah, you're you're all comfortable, sort of uh, in detached. your own, <laughs> own attachment. Yeah, you're just comfortable in that space. Yeah, but it, but but ultimately, it's unhealthy because because you're both detached. There's not proper attachment either. And that's no. why you know those relationships have a tendency to kind of blow up very quickly, or you mm. both start hurting each other because you're not properly attached mm. in the way you know in the way that you you, you should be.
0: Mm so what I'd like to go on to is okay so let's say we identify these things in ourselves or you know we can l- listen to what we're saying and we think yeah I identify with a few of those things how do we go about starting to learn about ourselves how do we start to have insight and kind of unpick some of the things that we just we just believe are so yeah
1: so we have to like the first point of contact i believe has to be to reconnect with yourself right
0: mm-hmm. so you
1: have to start to try and reconnect with your body you have to start to try to have the desire and the want to listen to your body listen to the feelings that you're experiencing and so what are you doing in 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 not you i mean what is one doing in their daily yeah. life in, in in a way um that's gonna that's gonna feed into that if i if i broke a leg and then i needed to build the muscle back up on it right after i'd broken it i would work on it every day i would make space Mm -hmm. in my life every day to do the kind of rehab exercise that i need to do Mm -hmm. what are we doing in our daily lives to try and reconnect with ourselves so the -hmm. the the first place i started um was literally it, it wasn't you could call it mindfulness but it wasn't really that it was more i'm gonna spend two minutes initially two minutes allow trying to feel not trying to think about anything else but trying to feel all that pent up emotion all of the stuff that i'd run away from and able to be able to show up for what i wanted to show up for i'm going to start trying to feel that and i did that i did that for like the first two years i had some crazy experiences in that where i would feel the emotion coming on and i would think i'm going to let it come and I used like sounds, I used different music, I used different kind of videos to try and bring that emotion out from listening to sad Westlife songs, right. That I thought <laughs> they're making me start to cry. So bomb, yeah. let's get them, let's listen to them and let's get those tears out and see what that feels like and see, see where that's coming from. Um, at, you know, to listening to sort of guided meditations that took me mm-hmm. to a place with my inner child. So I think, Ultimately, it's about making for me, it's been about making that start and starting to fully um, find ways to reconnect with our bodies. Because mm-hmm. the first thing that we do is disconnect from that and we detach from that, and we don't allow ourselves to feel anything. And it's scary, very scary. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, you know, most of the time, it probably should be done with um, a professional. Mm-hmm. I've done all mine by myself. Um, mm-hmm. But I probably wouldn't encourage people to do that. I did it by no. myself because I wouldn't, I couldn't trust anyone else with my feelings. That was my mm-hmm. stuff, um, mm-hmm. rather than anybody else's.
0: Mm-hmm. See, for 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 me, I went to first of all as a counsellor, um, mm-hmm. which was great because it, even that was terrifying. To be honest, I felt like I just felt like it was the biggest thing I'd ever done, going into a room and talking to a stranger about my stuff. Mm. Um, but then as I did that a bit longer it got me it was good it was like a gateway into being confident to show up and share with somebody else Um, but I then realized I kind of started going around in circles and that's when I started to realize that it wasn't just a case of talking about it and I was still having physical reactions to things Mm. so then I um years later took a huge break and then years later went into a trauma therapist and she started talking to me in a slightly different way and it felt different to a normal counsellor um it felt very different and brought up some crazy crazy stuff from me and that was really good and then I thought yeah you know I'm really kind of nailing this like I like yeah. there was like a finish line right so this yeah. is my own naivety <laughs> there's a finish line I'm going to cross that finish line and then I'm going to put that old Emma in a box I'm going to push it to the side and I'm going to carry on and go back to how I was before <laughs> mm. <Yeah. laughs> that was my notion and uh and then of course my body started to tell me very very different and that was a real wake-up call for me because it didn't matter how many talk therapies i went to my body was telling me i'm not okay i'm not okay i'm not okay and yeah. that's when i went to um em had emdr and that really was a huge massive shift for me because yeah it 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 was incredible actually mm-hmm. um yeah. and for the first time ever i really felt that trauma get smaller Mm. and become less um impactful and less intense um so when I was triggered again the feeling would come back but it was smaller in Mm. every every, in every way um and then the other thing I suppose is for me journaling like I really learning that there are more than 10 emotions and how to identify them (laughs) Um, was was a biggie (laughs) um you know and and my internal narrative being brave enough to put that on paper and yeah. realizing how much that internal narrative, what that wasn't true that I was making up in here, I hadn't fact checked it with anybody else. It was just yeah. what was going on between these little ears and realizing that that was the cause of a lot of my emotions, which were the cause of a lot of my triggers, which were the cause of a lot of my physical and emotional reactions. So getting real with my own internal dialogue that Mm. you don't even realize you have until you're brave enough to get it outside of your head and onto paper. Yeah.
1: Massive. Yeah, Yeah, no, it is massive. It is massive. And EMDR is something that I would love to do as well, by the way. I've never, Mm. I've never, I've never done it, but I've read a lot of um, stuff about it and it's the one thing that I, you know, that I would be really interested in doing and, and mm-hmm. probably will do in the future. But I, you know, and I, I, and I do think it is like a, a forever journey as well. You know, is, yeah. it, it, there's always stuff that comes up. You do, you sort of reach a stage in your life. And like you say, you think I've cracked it, right? I've nailed it. I'm never <laughs> going to do cross anything. that finish line. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm never going to do anything stupid again in my life. Right. And then <laughs> you find yourself in this big hole looking up thinking, how have I done this again? <laughs> um and you know that's been a that's been a story of my 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 life throughout my healing journey as well all right Mm -hmm. so i think that's you know that's one thing that i would really say is that self compassion has to become at the core of what i do because i have the ability to blow my life to bits in in a split second if i'm not careful Mm -hmm. and so kind of knowing having a little bit of acceptance around just how flawed i can be i think can be Mm -hmm. can become hugely important yeah
0: yeah I mean giving yourself grace is just is a huge part, and it's one thing that I think as human beings we're not that good at doing. Mm. We're very good at offering that grace to others often, like in most cases, unless you know mm. we're feeling personally aggrieved and fueled up about it. but in most cases, we're quite good at offering that grace mm. and space and understanding to everyone else you know you know we very quick to say, you know don't be so hard on yourself, you know give yourself mm. time, give yourself space, it's okay um but when it comes to ourselves, we will, we will go to town on ourselves about how terrible we are. And yeah. this is the um, part of my journaling, for sure. The things that I say to myself are horrendous. Uh, like, yeah. they're, horrend- they're horrendous. And yeah. if I, you, you know, you imagine then going to say that to someone that you love, well, you just wouldn't. Mm. And they're horrendous. Like, <laughs> the, the pitch. you know and and so that for me has been so powerful to really be truthful with myself about what I am telling myself yeah um and then challenge it and like Mm. go to work on it and like put it to the test you know Mm. put the statement on a bit of paper and fact check it like test it test it like Mm. are you actually true do you know and it's it's um it's been a huge part of my work over the last year that particular exercise on a daily basis I do it every day in my journal Mm. I write down you know how I feel all my feelings down around the different areas I'll put myself my job my family my friends you know Mm. and underneath I'll put every emotion that I felt then Mm. I'll put down any triggers that I can identify with that have just irked me or pulled me and then I'll write down my internal narrative so what have I told myself about all these things that's happened Mm. that day And when I do that. And then I go back over my emotions that I've written down. I get a highlighter and I write down every emotion that was generated by my internal narrative versus what actually happened without me going and fact wow. checking it. Do you see? And it's yeah, become yeah, yeah. this like daily practice that I do. And it does, it's really helped my inner bully slow the F down because. Mm. <laughs> it was kind of out of control. And I think we don't even realize we're doing it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I, that's, and that's an incredible thing to be doing as well. And I guess like in a way it's kind of s- similar to some of the internal work that I do on a daily I So I'm not very good with um, a pen and a paper. Mm-hmm. So I sometimes do voice notes for journaling. Mm-hmm. So I talk into voice notes um because i just can't get what i'm kind of thinking and feeling onto paper it just doesn't the kind of connection between sort of head and pen is not there um perhaps that's something that i could you know that's a muscle that i could develop but um -hmm. yeah i use voice notes in that way and then as well that kind of self-talk stuff of listening to your self talk i every morning i do like a five minute um process in front of the mirror right this sounds Mm -hmm. really crazy but um So I call it like my self-love, self-compassion routine, right? And that is where um, I spend five minutes in the mirror. I put some like creams and stuff on my face, right? I have um, a a vitamin drink that I have. I don't know what either of the things do. Um, But it's just that process of looking in the mirror and spending, you know, if I'm um, doing something that I'm not pleased about in my life, I I can't look myself in the eye Mm -hmm. in the mirror. And so there's mm-hmm. something really powerful about that. And it's just having that moment to listen. What's the narrative that I'm telling myself? Mm-hmm. What am I saying here? Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, is it, is it, is it real? Right? Where is mm-hmm. it coming from? Why is it existing? Mm-hmm. But it's consciously loving myself in that way to know that whatever I go out and do in the day, right, mm-hmm. um, I'm making an attempt to love myself in this space. Mm-hmm. And that's, mm-hmm. that's been um hugely significant to me as well mm. um, it, it just stops that kind of toxic cycle of just mm-hmm. beating myself up every single day you know which it's is just
0: right very- to- it's trying to find some way of that's like just finding a way that works for you to put the brakes on yeah. and pause how, yeah. it, for me I think the biggest thing is how can you find a way to pause and yeah. not be in that reactive mode and be in a reflective Mm. mode and that's when we can really learn some massive lessons about ourselves and Mm. have that insight and another question that I ask myself right so when I turn up when I show up in a situation and I know that I'm not being 39 year old Emma with you know sound experience and you know not sound experience but experience and as I am right now with you, for example. So yeah. in, a trigger, in a triggered state, I might show up. And the one question that I really, I've, I mean, sometimes I despair at the answers I get, but I'm, I'm excited to ask myself because I know it's gonna give me some good answers is, yeah. how old is this version of Emma that's showing up right now? So if, yeah. if I'm too triggered in that moment, I, I don't have the space to be that reflective. But afterwards, you've got the time you've got the space so I sit down and I'll I'll journal and I never used to be able to journal I used to find it very difficult and I'll say something about that in a minute that you might find interesting I don't know but I will try and say to myself okay how old was that Emma in that moment was that a 39 year old Emma like definitely not was that Mm. (laughs) you know was it a 21 year old Emma Mm. and then I generally get back to an age and it'll be well, that was an 11-year-old Emma that showed up to that mm. conversation. And when that person said that, I was triggered. An 11-year-old Emma showed up and she was 11. Mm. <laughs> what was going on for me at 11? And what is it reminding me of? And when have I felt that way before? And that's a, a question that helps me to quickly kind of lace back through the layers yeah. and go, okay, maybe this is what I've been bringing through. Mm-hmm. In that moment, um and why, and what was the trigger, and what do I need to sit with and think about and feel for this to kind of move mm-hmm. um and it 's just each time I do it, it gets a bit easier, and sometimes not often sometimes I can catch myself real time, which is like a massive win <laughs> oftentimes, yeah. it's, oftentimes it's oftentimes it 's reflective, which is still better than nothing at all, but it just it's a it 's like you say like practicing you know that muscle getting that muscle good at doing that thing yeah and then someone said something to me about writing so they asked me to do um i have a coach at the minute life coach and she said to me she wanted me to write down a letter to myself and in that letter write down all the things that if that you could say but you don't say because you know it would hurt people upset people whatever she said let loose anything that's inside you that you want to say doesn't matter how terrible it is write it down she said just start she said and also write down everything that your younger self would have needed to hear in these moments when you were upset and then if it was a person that upset you write down everything that you want you could say you would say if you could say it or if you could go back and say it and in that mm. moment at that time at that age just get it out anyway she sent me the challenge it took me 13 days to pick up the pen I just could not <laughs> bring myself to do it yeah. and then I, I I was seeing her on day 14 and all I thought was I'm seeing her tomorrow and if I don't have this letter written I'm going the high <laughs> jump <laughs> so I thought right okay I'll do it and it was honestly so difficult i sobbed through the whole thing like the paper was covered yeah. in tears the ink was everywhere but the stuff that came out of me was just off the charts
1: yeah but what it
0: what it did she said to me afterwards when you've written it go and burn it because that way you've got safety because then you yeah. know that no one's ever going to read it you just burn it and it's gone it was so therapeutic and cathartic at the same time but i asked her the next day i said I explained, I really struggled to do that. And I waited till day 13 to do it. And the only reason I did it on 13 is because you were seeing me on day 14. And yeah. she said that it can be normal for people that have experienced quite a lot in their life to be able to talk very freely about their experiences once mm-hmm. they got in the habit of doing it. She said, you could sit in front of me and list off what's happened, da, 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 da. da, da. Like a bullet point. Yeah, she said. But when you write, with some people, it is so connecting to their heart that it's incredibly difficult to do. Mm. She said, "What you've just said to me, you you would probably struggle to write." And she's completely correct. Mm.
1: Well, wow, so yeah, that's, is a- that's really significant. Yeah, that's yeah. That's, that's probably and it's probably one of the reasons why I don't do it. <laughs> it's I'm doing, why I do. Yeah, <laughs> why I don't write regularly because I did the. Um, I've done the um, uh, writing a letter to my dad. Yeah. Yeah. And I did that and it's something that I could talk about, but writing it does that connection, doesn't it? Yeah. So that makes, that makes a lot of sense. So maybe I should, maybe I should do a bit more writing.
0: I mean, honestly, it's, this is current for me and it's like super challenging for me to write. I find it much easier to say. So some reason I managed to disconnect a little bit when I say it and safeguard whatever it is that I'm, somehow yeah it um, yeah, makes sense but to write it she says it's coming it's coming from your heart and that's where you, that's why it's so difficult
1: yeah yeah it makes a lot of sense makes total sense as well yeah
0: funny isn't it
1: it is yeah but and th- this is the things that you learn i guess this is these are the things that you learn and that's why um you know one of the main things i say to myself is wake up with the idea that i could be wrong about everything that i've ever believed and i do that every day so that it gives me the opportunity to go shit I need to try this thing and then go and try it and then all of a sudden you think oh my god how did I think I was well yesterday (laughs) do you know what I mean but but but, but, you know the the inner child work is some stuff that I've 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 had some really powerful experiences Mm. with um like inner child kind of kind of meditations and stuff like that Mm. um you know going back and reconnecting with my inner inner self you know that 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 kind of sensitive child part of me I think it's been some of the most important work that I've done. And it's mm-hmm. also a very like personal experience as well. Mm-hmm. Um, almost going back and doing the parenting that I felt like I missed out on
0: mm-hmm. that, that relearning
1: to regulate emotionally and things like that. But again, and how
0: would you recommend someone would start like that? If someone said, you know, they wanted to start doing inner in the child work, like how would, what would be a good starting place?
1: I think there's some great stuff on YouTube, right? So there's some really great guided meditations on YouTube. But, like, but it's like everything. The one that changed was a big, massive game changer for me. I've told about 10 people to do it, and they've all said it was rubbish. So um, I think you know, it's important to look and see. Um, I've probably exaggerated 10 people, it's two or three. But, but what, what I'm saying is... is I found the, the, the honest guys they're called on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got a guided meditation on there, an inner child guided meditation. Um, it's like ten minutes, and when I first ever did that, it changed my changed my life because uh, mm. it reconnected me with my inner child in a way that I'd never done. That was like perhaps five or six years ago. Mm. Um, so there's lots of stuff like that that you can do if, if you know if mindfulness and meditation is stuff that you use getting yourself into that kind of um, inner space and then being able to do it. Some of the guided stuff's been really useful for me. And since then and over time, I've developed, I can get into a pretty um, healing state on my own now with like just Mm. calming sounds where it's hard to describe, but that's where most of my emotional work is done when I slow myself down to go inward. That's kind of just where it, that's where it all happens for me. You know, I've had some really, powerful experiences where like I've emotionally been wailing and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um and I can't put into words when I or like I want to say come back round, but when I come to Mm -hmm. at the end of it, I can't put into words um what the experience was, but it but Mm -hmm. it it changes you.
0: Mm -hmm. And that
1: comes with that comes with practice. You know, I've had like Mm -hmm. a sort of mindfulness sort of quiet space routine for like six or seven years now. Mm-hmm. um and it's it's you know it's, i always say it's much like going to the gym you don't just get strong straight away and if you go for six years every day you're going to be really strong do you know what i mean mm-hmm. so it's been the same with that for me
0: i had a guest on the podcast um a few episodes ago called m deacon and she gave a good tip about meditation actually for people that have never done it before mm. was like what you're saying not everybody will get on with every guided meditation and it could be as something as simple as you just don't get on with the tone of their voice Mm. and it could just turn you right off yeah yeah. and she she said you know if you hit on something and you just don't like the voice move on to the next one because there'll be a there'll be a voice that you like or there'll be a background music maybe there's a a little ting going on that's just doing your head in just 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 go to the next one. Go,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Don't just think, oh, I've got to stay and do this because this is meditation. That there's so much out there. Exactly. It's a really good tip.
1: Yeah, and there is so many out there. And actually, what you start to develop, because I love going on there and trying to find new ones. Like I don't mm-hmm. tend to use guided ones as much anymore, but every now and then I'm like, I think, yeah, I'm bang on one, right? And I'll do stuff mm-hmm. like if something inside me saying I need a bit of self-acceptance or I don't know, whatever mm-hmm. it is, I'll search like self-acceptance guided meditation. And mm-hmm. I know within five seconds of listening to the beginning of it, if I can get on with their voice and the mm-hmm. noises they've got on in the background. Mm-hmm. And if I don't, yeah. I'm just like, nope, this is, nope, nope, nope. No. And then also what you have to know as well is that um, it, it, I don't believe anyone gets it to work every single time.
0: No. Sometimes
1: I'm just fighting to sit there for 10 minutes. And at the end mm-hmm. of it, I think that was, you know, I've got absolutely nothing from that apart from wasting <laughs> It feels like a waste of 10 minutes, right? Yeah. It's not a waste of 10 minutes, it just feels like it. So, I think it's yeah. important to know you know, again, if you want to use the gym analogy, sometimes I go to the gym and you come home and you say, That's a terrible session. I don't know, you know, I didn't really do anything. Yeah. I was just floating about. A meditation practice, when you're doing it that regularly, is the same as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I did a, um, as you know, I'm actively trying to get pregnant at the moment in fertility mm. treatment. So, I did a womb healing, Reiki guided meditation the other day off the charts like i've never experienced anything like it um Mm. and as a woman if you have sexual trauma or you have been sexually abused or raped or assaulted or something like this or even just had a sexual experience that didn't make you feel good but Mm. was consensual for example um as a female i've been told that you can store this trauma in your womb area mm. so i did this womb healing because you know i i'm open to yeah. yeah like and i'm enjoying meditation anyway as a normal kind of daily practice um and it was so intense it was on un, unreal like i was sobbing and sobbing and sobbing for the first part the first part is the release and um and then the second part they do like a visualization of like uh bringing in uh spirit your spirit baby basically so it takes you it replaces so you do a release and then you bring something positive in at the end um but it was so intense and afterwards i wasn't my cycle had finished i wasn't bleeding anymore and within an hour i had i bled for 2 hours
1: wow. just the
0: most the just the most mental experience i bled for 2 wow. hours with the most most immense cramps and then just lifted
1: wow let's see if it's the the next like, stuff sort but,
0: of works. but isn't yeah. that bad like the power yeah, of this stuff is just blows my mind
1: yeah yeah no it, look, it doesn't surprise me actually um because i, I kind of you know I've seen this kind of stuff all the time and I've sort of really believe in it. So, Mm. um, incredible. Yeah. Incredible.
0: Mm. Um, and I'd like to ask you one more question before we go, which is you are a father. Mm -hmm. So obviously there's massive differences in, in your dynamics with your children now and your dynamics with your father, but How do you now, with all the things that you've learned and stepped into, handle your kids' big emotions? So Um, what would be a a good sort of bit of advice for parents who are trying their best, feeling like they don't know what to do, their kids have got huge emotions and they're just, like, lost? Which I I have friends who feel like that.
1: Yeah, so, like, firstly, the one thing that I would say is to, to keep doing your best. So, because the, the 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 you know the first answer is how do you know when you said how do you deal with your kids' big emotions? Mm-hmm. The 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 first answer I'll give is not very well, right? Okay. Um, so I can deal with people who I'm not attached to's emotions very well. Mm -hmm. but you chuck me in my family environment and it becomes much more difficult. So Mm -hmm. um, I find it harder to be there for my wife and kids than I do to be there for somebody I don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. Because the attachment kind of stuff comes into it. So -hmm. there's a lot of self-compassion that needs to be available for that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But then secondly, it's, you know, that practice holding space and to hold space for somebody else, I need to be dealing with my own emotions. Mm-hmm. Cause what children will do is they will rip every single kind of defense mechanism you've got against your own emotional struggles away because whatever defense mechanism you're using it ain't going to work on them. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think it's to be as present as you can. And I have to work hard at that. I have mm-hmm. to really try hard at that. Um, it's to be as present as you can and to have, um, you know, simply to, to, to have as much self-compassion for yourself as you can. Mm-hmm. ultimately what you'll be doing if you think you're struggling is one you're probably sensitive so that's why you've picked up and noticed it um and two you're, if you're awake and conscious to it if you're awake and aware and trying you're doing more than most parents are doing mm-hmm. the flip side of that is if you're awake and conscious and trying you're also going to be awake and conscious to how often you mess it up which will be a lot and more than getting it right
0: mm-hmm.
1: but that is enough This is Mm -hmm. why I always say, if you're getting it right 30% of the time, I think Mm -hmm. you're doing really well. The Mm -hmm. biggest parental downfall is lack of consciousness. Mm -hmm. So just denying it all and just pretending everybody's happy and that everyone's doing all right. Mm -hmm. And if you live in that state 100% of the time, then everything's going to be come back to what we said at the beginning, conditional. If you're awake and doing your best to be as conscious as you can, you're already doing more than most, most parents. Mm-hmm. so that would be yeah that would be my answer and it, i guess it's probably less technical than most people would expect me to give mm-hmm. um but uh, you know ultimately i've recognized how flawed we are mm. so that's my answer more compassion i like
0: that i, like that. I <laughs> love that <laughs>
1: um
0: thank you thank you josh is there anything else that you'd like to cover off before we go today uh
1: no i think i, I you know i came in with an open mind and i think you know um it's been as good a conversation as I as I knew it would be. So um, I'm, you know, kind of appreciate that. I Appreciate the, the the feedback that's given us the opportunity to do a number two as well. So mm-hmm. here's to number three. <laughs> <laughs> we'll
0: have to see what we'll have to see what goes on, won't we? <laughs> if we
1: can
0: unpick next. <laughs> so, yeah. exactly. Thank you, like thank you very much for coming on for part two. I'm really grateful for your time, space, vulnerability bravery and willing to just be open always i appreciate all of that and i appreciate you so thank you
1: thank you it means a lot thank you
0: thank you for listening and i look forward to introducing you to my guest in my next episode until then don't forget to take care of you